1: What's up, podcast people? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Patrick Moran, aka Podcaster to the Stars. (laughs) Joking. well, You know what? Not really, man. Not in the world of sports and media anyway. I got yet another big-time guest in the world of sports media on the show today. I'll be joined by former ESPN NFL insider and current SiriusXM XM radio host, Adam Kaplan. I spend more than a full hour just rapping with Adam about all kinds of stuff. Sure, I ask him about some Buffalo Bills and NFL topics, run-of-the-mill stuff like that. But just as with all of my guests, I prefer to pull back the curtain some and get to know these guys beyond just the scoops And what they do for a living. I talked to Adam about growing up near Philly. His early obsession with fantasy sports. A career that would ultimately take him to ESPN for almost four years. How it felt to be part of the infamous ESPN layoffs that came hammering down last spring. And all kinds of other stuff. Adam also has a few pretty cool wrestling stories. Including a Moranalytics podcast exclusive on how Big Van Vader almost kicked the shit out of him when he was a younger guy. Pretty funny stuff. Anyway, it was a fun interview, and I'm going to get to that in just a few seconds. Two real quick things, though, before I do. Number one, I wanted to send out a quick congratulations to Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas, who the team just announced on Wednesday will be only the third player ever to have his number officially retired by the team. That'll happen during a Monday night game on October 29th when the Bills host the New England Patriots. Listen, that shit's long overdue, but it's a great gesture by the Bills for one of the best and most important players in that franchise's history. So big congratulations to Thurman, well-deserved. And then the other thing I wanted to say is What the hell with Hulk Hogan? Seriously? I guess the Hulkster is going to be in the Buffalo area this weekend for Comic-Con. And a friend told me that a meet and greet package for him would run him a cool $295.
0: Man, this is some bullshit. Boo this man. I'll
1: tell you what. And I tweeted this before too. If I'm paying $295 to encounter Hulk Hogan... I better be wrestling his ass in fact he better put me over too like I want him to hit me with his leg drop and I'm gonna kick out at two and a half I'll hit a finisher on him I don't know what the hell that finisher would be whatever it is but I'm gonna hit it and then I want to pin him clean one two three right in the middle of the ring that's literally the only way I'm spending 300 bucks to see Hulk Hogan that's just stupid
0: don't call me stupid To call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people.
1: Okay, anyway, let's not go off the rails here. This is my extended interview with one of the best NFL guys in the game. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Adam Kaplan. Okay, my guest today has been covering the NFL for many years and thanks in part to his time at ESPN He's one of the more recognizable faces in the business. He's a host for Sirius XM Radio. I'm talking about Adam Kaplan. Thanks for joining the podcast, Adam. How are you doing today?
0: Patrick, I'm good. Good to talk to you today. And yeah, it's uh, this time of year, we're we're in May. uh, It is sort of like, and I hate to say there's any downtime in the National Football League, but there's certainly, it's a slower time for news and it's generally a good time to catch up, and that's kind of uh, what I think most of us who cover the league are doing. Yeah,
1: guys like you, I don't bother trying to get a hold of in April. I really don't. I
0: yeah, it's harder. Yeah, because I get I get Patrick. I get a lot of requests to do radio, and I can't I can't do everything in April because leading up to the draft, it's it's conversation after conversation. Even though I'm not with ESPN technically anymore, uh, well, I am, but I'm you know I was laid off. It's a situation where you you, you want to keep up with it and cover the National Football League, although there are only 32 teams opposed to college football where there's several hundred. It's, it's just a business that never ends. I mean, we had a sale this week of the Panthers and so much is going on. And as I said, this is supposed to be the downtime, but it really is not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine how crazy it must get for you guys. And we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills and NFL stuff in a few, but before that, I got some other stuff I want to discuss a little bit and kind of like peel back the curtain a little bit with you, if you will. Now, you're from Cheltenham, correct, which is near Philadelphia?
0: Yeah, so Cheltenham is a suburb. It's not technically in Philly, but as you said, it's near Philly. It's about, depending on what part of Cheltenham that you live, it's five to ten minutes from the city line, from the suburbs, and then to Philadelphia. It's kind of like how people say Villanova won the national championship in basketball of the last three years is in Philly. It's really not. It's in a suburb outside Philadelphia, but it's very close to the line to be in Philadelphia. So yeah, I, I grew up there, born and raised in, in, in that area.
1: What was it like growing up there for you? Is it a tough town? I mean, like I said, I know you're not in the city, you're near the city, but how is Philly? Is it a tough town? What kind of town is it?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, Patrick, you being a sports fan and myself, and, and I'm sure most people listening. If Philly gets this bad rap of, of of throwing snowballs at Santa Claus and this that and the other. It's really not the case. There there's certainly a certain section of Philadelphia fandom of the sports teams that is rough, tough, nasty. Uh, you could go to you could go to any city. You're going to find those people. The problem is that the situation gets played up. If someone from let's say the Eagles fandom does something stupid at a game throw something at a, at a player or a coach, right. That's going to be played up. That's just the way it is. And you, you kind of live with that. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just kind of funny how that like people hang on to one or two, uh, incidents over the years and they just won't let go, but it comes with the territory.
1: Um, Obviously you grew up an Eagles fan. Who were a couple of your favorite players as a kid?
0: Well, actually Patrick, and I've really discussed this. It's, it's funny you asked. I'm really, I, I didn't quite, I'm not. I was not really quite an Eagles fan. As what happened was, I was probably like 14 or 15 in 1980. The Super Bowl that was the year the Eagles played the Raiders in New Orleans in, in January of uh, 2000. Excuse me, in 1981, uh, I became a Raiders fan after that. I just uh-huh. I liked the colors, uh, silver and black, of course, and I liked the personalities and way that they played. And this is when you know players would get away with just about anything. You remember Stickem uh, uh, oh, yeah. with yeah. Uh, Lester Hayes and. Fred Blitnikoff. I just liked the hall, the, the mystique of Al Davis and all that. So I became more of a Raiders fan. Uh, I would say that in the 90s, uh, when I could afford it, start for a little bit, I got Eagle season tickets, but I wouldn't say I was a particular fan. I was just a, a fan of the game. And uh, though basketball is my first love, uh, the Sixers were, uh, I became such an NFL fan because I, I, I just. I was blown away by the sport, the physicality and the strategy. And that's one of the biggest reasons of why I got in cover of the National Football League.
1: That's cool. Now, when you were young, Ron Jaworski was the quarterback of the Eagles. What were your thoughts on him? I mean, obviously, you were a kid. You know, you're not a full-grown adult at the time. So there probably wasn't in depth back then. But were you a Jaworski guy?
0: Yeah, it's funny. So I, I, uh, my first real TV job, though, I was a uh, paid contributor to a Comcast Sportsnet in Philly, which is now NBC Sports Philadelphia. My first real job in television was in 2002. I did a fantasy football show with Jaws for DirecTV and NFL.com, and I had never met him before, I don't believe. And I'm someone who does not get intimidated, really does not care about celebrity, but I have to tell you, growing up, watching Jaws it was a little bit intimidating. I mean, here's a guy that I watched growing up, and as you know, he's from Lackawanna, New York, and now I work for Jaws in the Arena Football League, but... It was, it, was, it was just interesting watching him growing up here because in Philly, he got booed. Yes, it's true. Philadelphia sports fans like to boo a lot, but they're incredibly passionate and supportive. And Jaws, one of the things I most respected about Jaws as a professional athlete is, yes, he got booed a lot, but he understood the Philadelphia fan and he decided to live here. And he, you know, he's lived here now in the neighborhood of 40 years and he's become basically a Philadelphian. So I've really respected the way he got to understand a Philadelphia sports fan, and not everyone gets it, especially people who are rarely here. They come in one or two days, and they think Philadelphia is tough. Well, so again, as I said at the top top here, I think any city is tough, and I think that Philadelphia is no different.
1: I asked about Jaws because you, you alluded to he's from Lackawanna. I'm a Buffalo guy. spent all my life in Buffalo until the past two years. I moved down to Florida, but... You know, Ron Jaworski was like a god in Lackawanna, where Lackawanna is like one town over from Buffalo. So it's pretty much a part of Buffalo. Just like, you know, you said, Shelly Nam's just outside of the city limits of Philly. Kind of the same deal in Buffalo with Jaws. He's a legend in Buffalo. So I I wanted to make sure that I asked you about that. It's pretty cool that he lives in Philly now, too. There's guys, you know, like him that, like you said, they get booed a lot when they play, but it's not until after they retire that they kind of, their, their legend grows and the longer they stay around. You know Jim Kelly's a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, but he got beat up a lot by the fans during his time in Buffalo. And Thurman Thomas, some of the you know Hall of Fame guys, they they stick around in the city afterwards, and they and that becomes their town, like you said, Jaws with Philly,
0: right. And then don't forget, Jim Kelly did not want to play in Buffalo. That's right. why he went to the USFL. And I I mean I I applaud him, and obviously he's beloved, but that that could not have been easy. And I know this is well pre Internet. Just imagine if this were, it was like uh, two, 2010, and Jim Kelly was available for the draft, and he said he didn't want to play in Buffalo. Yeah. He went to another league and then would come back. Can you imagine with the internet now how it would be skewered? He'd get killed. Right. So, he, Jim, that was a different era now. And, and obviously, he loves Buffalo. But it, it's interesting. So, you know, Jaws, Mike Schmidt's another one. Now, no, Mike Schmidt, the Hall of Fame third baseman. Arguably the best third baseman in MLB history, he lives in Florida now, I believe. But he had he had a I don't know if you even call it love hate. He had a very tough relationship with the fans. He he didn't take the booing like Jaws did, and I think that's why his relationship with the fans was never good until he retired. And it's interesting to see. And you mentioned Thurman Thomas, who was beloved. Not not every athlete, and especially when we talk about the Philadelphia market. Not every athlete got it, and that's why some players did not like playing here. It's just the way it was.
1: What first got you interested in sports reporting when you were younger? And do you remember when that itch started happening for you?
0: You know, you know it's an interesting question. So every every reporter has inspiration. I, I would say this. I would say that growing up in the 70s and 80s, when I started to learn, try to learn football, remember this is before All 22 Tape was available, right. obviously decades before, there were, there were magazines, you, it, they were always dated and you couldn't really learn about the game. I, I, I had, you know, in the eighties uh, when, you know, I was in high school, I just, it was hard to get information. Yeah. You would watch, as you know, Patrick, we before the, the, the advances of cable television, we only get three or four games a week mm-hmm. and it was frustrating. So it was hard to learn. And I had a thirst for knowledge. I was just, I was just wired that way. I, my father was a builder and then he became an attorney after, after he retired and I, I, my, I was not a big sports fan, and, and I'm one of four boys. I'm the youngest of four boys. None of my brothers are really sports fans. So I was sort of, I hate to say the ugly duckling, but I was the one guy who had a thirst for sports knowledge. And where there was trivia, I thought I'd become a play-by-play announcer. That was probably my first love. And I, I'm actually doing it now for the Philadelphia Soul. I did three games on the radio. I just wanted to learn about the game. I don't know how you learned growing up.
1: Pretty much the same.
0: Right. But, but yeah, so we all, we, we, we all had to learn, uh, we, we all had a thirst for knowledge. Like, you, you know, you, 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 are coming to in the internet age. I did not. So I had to figure out a different way to get information. So I, you know, I would, I would read as much as I could. I would watch as much TV as I could. And then I was like, okay, what's next for me? Well, the internet was next for us in 90, 95 and 96. And that, that to me, that was my, that was just, I wanted more. I wanted more. Then I watched uh, in the Philadelphia market a guy's name is Howard Eskin. Uh, he's still a reporter. Uh, he had a big story, and I actually went up working for him uh, for a, a college internship in 1984 and 85. Howard broke the story that the Eagles might move to Arizona for for um, Norman Brayman bought the team. I was fascinated. I don't know how he got the information. That to me was interesting. How, how the heck did he get that? And then uh, one of my colleagues at ESPN, Chris Morton, was my biggest inspiration uh, from an NFL standpoint, information standpoint, because quite frankly, I could not understand how Mort was getting this information when he got the job with ESPN. He got this contract information. Like, how how did he get that? Uh, How how was he finding out that this player would not play or play on Sunday? I, I was just blown away by that. And that was really it for me, is just wanting to know how you would put this information together. How do you get it? How do you protect people, you know, people you're getting information from? And I also love the game. I'm one of the reporters out there that just absolutely loves football. And I have a thirst for it. And that, that, that'll never stop.
1: You're like an OG, man, when it comes to fantasy sports, especially baseball. I read that you started playing fantasy baseball all the way back in 1982. By the way, you got me by a couple years. I kind of remember that, Aaron, not quite as well. I mean, obviously you remember more because you started playing it back then. What got you interested in fantasy sports? And for oh, people- this
0: is incre- Yeah, this is... A, it was called... Right. So this is incredible. So back in... Yeah, your date is right. I believe it was... Um, well, actually, it would be a little bit earlier than that because I was at a private school then called Penn Charter. Penn Charter's where Matt Ryan went, I believe, Mike McGlinchey. I'm not positive, but I think he went there. Uh, who was just drafted, as we know, mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yep. So... I went to that private school, and this article came out in the New York Times. I'm going to say around 1980 or 81, because then I went to public after Penn Charter, and it was an article about rotisserie baseball in the New York Times. I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't know. You know, I love baseball as, as most kids did growing up, and I read the article. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. So, like, you like draft a team and you chart stats in a ledger sheet. This is before the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was into it. I mean, I, I remember doing a league, and you know, we drafted. and I was just like, "This is incredible!" Like, I I would play baseball. Uh, it was called rotisserie baseball then. Throughout the nine, to the eighties, and then early nineties, and I would burn out from because the problem there bef- again before the internet, I was commissioner a couple times, and you have Hired. to log every day in a ledger book. It was a pain in the ass. So, Patrick, <laughs> as you can imagine, if you played, if you were around then, yeah, uh, it was just too much. It was just too time consuming, too many games, and I got. I got into fantasy football, and that's what they called it then. And I think they actually didn't call it football then. They, they might have, but we called it fantasy in the early 90s. And that, that was my foray into fantasy sports, and I would later get into it business-wise.
1: It's pretty funny because, I mean, you mentioned it. People who play nowadays, it's easy, man. Just set your lineup and whatever. They don't realize back in the day, all the paperwork, it was almost like having a job, especially, like you said, if you were a commissioner, man, forget about
0: it. Yeah, I, I didn't real like, that was what drove me crazy and drove me away from it. Because in the early 90s, uh, you know, I'm trying to get my career going. And I, I'm not going to spend, like, every Monday morning, because here's the way you would get the information. When we played fantasy in the early, early 90s for the internet, you would have to wait till the USA Today came out on yeah. Monday morning. The problem is, if you recall, the Sunday night game would not be in the newspaper. right? So you would not, and I, by the way, my first league I played in played with individual defensive players. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, that was how I got hooked on fantasy because it helped me really learn football. Like, I learned that Deion Sanders wouldn't tackle anybody, but he was a <laughs> great football player. Yeah. You know, I learned Thurman Thomas, uh, Larry Center, speaking of Bills. These guys were great. This is before the leagues where you would get points for reception. Yeah, But I learned how versatile Thurman Thomas was. I, that's actually – so I know NFL people criticize fantasy, but I really learned football from a statistical point of view through fantasy football. And I thought that really helped me learn the game, increase my thirst for knowledge.
1: We'll get into a couple of your sports career achievements in a minute. But before that, you once spent time, again, I was digging in on you, man. I kind of stalking you a little bit. I know that you once spent time working at Lord & Taylor. Tell the (laughs) listeners out there how working at Lord & Taylor ultimately would go on and change your life.
0: Well, yeah, in 96, like '96, Patrick, or '97, I worked. Uh, I'd lost a job, so I was just ch- I was just looking for any kind of job I can get. I didn't care what it was. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what it was. I just wanted to. I just needed to make money. I mean, when you're single, you're in your 20s, and you're trying to figure life out. You just you you kind of just try to take any job you could get. And I lived in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which has got to, it. it, it Combined square footage, it's, it's the biggest area for malls in the, in, in the world. Oh, okay. so two giant malls joined together. It's bigger than the Mall of America. If you just take quantity of stores. And anyway, my my, uh, I saw a woman in there who was uh, the HR manager of Lord & Taylor. Who, and then I, after stopping intimidated and just try to be a little fearless, I finally asked her out. And you, you probably shouldn't ask the HR manager out, but I did. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's kind of, I, I mean, I'm sure that, some of your listeners know, kind of when you meet someone who you think—I mean, I knew it. Kind of when I saw him, like I, I got to marry this woman. I like tall women. My wife's five ten, and I was just like, you know what? If she's what I think she is, and she would wind up to be. Then I think I got the right person. And I—and the funny, the ironic story is, you know, a couple years later, I still was not doing great financially. Uh, my, my wife Lori, she was—we uh, were just going out then, and she asked me to get married <laughs> in the middle of a parking lot, and I could not afford the ring. I mean, I don't even know how I pay for it, quite frankly, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we all we all go through stuff, and I think that my, my career and story is is certainly different. My path to whatever success I've had is certainly different from others, but it just goes to show you, um, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, I certainly was not looking to get married. I got married probably, uh, I got married in 2002, in, in, in my early 30s. You, you just, you don't quite know what your life path is going to be. And you never know what's going to hit you. But when you have the r- right person to go there, go along with you th- and be supportive, sure makes it a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now you first started, out, you first started to make a name for yourself in the football media world, anyway. By you created a website. I think you created it right. It was called footballinjuries.com. That was certainly different. What was your inspiration for that?
0: Yeah, actually, here is what happened. So Jay Glazer and Steve Cohen uh, invited me in to be a partner. Yeah, I think 2000 something like that. 2099, 2000, and I saw that the the official company name Patrick was Pro Football News and Injury Report. Mm-hmm. And I was like, guys, this name is way too long. We need to change this for branding purposes. We need to change it to whatever the the website is, FootballInjuries.com. Well, guess what? We're going to be named that. Whenever you people are when what our company name is, whenever we're being interviewed. Do not even bring up the corporate name. Just call f- footballinjuries.com because we were we were a pay site. Uh, we we create. Uh, Colin and Glazer actually came up with a company in like ninety five. They I, they hired me, and then then I became a partner to run their nine hundred number. Okay. And and <laughs> that this is again this is in the nineties when we had nine hundred numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, right? Patrick, fantasy players and and gamblers wanted inf- injury information, and Steve Cohen was ESPN.com's injury insider in the mid nineties. He used to do chats. He's really good at it. And I, that would be sort of my calling through the early 2000s. I was became like one of the experts in, in the country in, in, in injury information. Mm-hmm. But my, getting back to uh, footballinjuries.com, I just thought we had a change the name. Footballinjuries.com was so easy to remember. And everyone, because then when they say, Oh, you're the football injury site. Yes. Th- that's what we wanted to accomplish. Whenever you thought of us, that's all I wanted them to remember. It was smart. It helped us from a sales standpoint. We would eventually sell the company 2008. But um, that 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 was my hook. So for anyone listening, if you want to get into reporting or you're trying to help your career, you've got to be good at something and, and no matter what you do. And I, becoming a sort of expert in, in injury reporting and, and analysis, uh, I, I would get that. Uh, I, I would become one of those, and that really helped my career take off.
1: In 2002... You joined Scout.com, one of the guys there at the time, which you mentioned before, so you worked with him before that. Jake Laser was there. And then in 2010, Fox Sports bought that out. What was your experience like working at Scout.com, both like before, during, or, or after Fox bought it out?
0: Yeah, so Patrick, actually, Jay did. Not, Jay worked for Fox, not Scout. Okay. Scout to me back then was like the AAA, and Fox was the major leagues, and I got I, I jokingly called it my uh, major league call-up eight years later with them. <laughs> Although I was, I was a contributor and a consultant for other companies, I still, my, my, my main job was with Scout.com as their NFL insider and lead reporter. And and the, um, the they tried to hire, they actually tried to bring me up for from like 08, 09, and 10. And at the same time, I actually got a job offer. I actually interviewed, and Matthew, I don't know if Matthew Barry knows this, because I go way back with Barry to 2000 for the fantasy business, but... Barry, Matthew Barry and I interviewed at ESPN at the same time. I think it was 06. No, I interviewed uh, to work with John Clayton and then Len Pasquarelli and Mort. And unfortunately, the, the guy that I, I interviewed with got promoted. So I just it, it, it didn't work out. And I didn't know that I needed an agent. And I wish I would have had one then. But So I didn't get that job. The CBS Sports job fell through. Uh, that one was they actually offered me a job. And then the, mon- they, the money that they allocated for me didn't work out. So at the same time, I was working for Scout. And then, uh, you know, you, you fast forward three years later in 2010. I worked with Jay Glazer and, and Alex Marvez uh, for a year. And unfortunately, my first layoff in the NFL business was during the lockout in 2011. Uh, and this, it was like June of 11. And then I, I, my last day with them was like, I put a pretty significant scoop out during the lockout. Um, this is when, if you recall, Patrick, teams were not allowed to hand, you know, you're not allowed to communicate with your players. And teams were... Not supposed to send their playbooks to the players, but I reported at least one team did. I never, I won't to this day report the team that did, but I got it confirmed by two sources that, uh, that a team did, and that became actually a big story. Yeah. It was my last day of, uh, I didn't. St- I never stopped working. I don't worry about things I can't control. So I just, I it was my last story for them, and then I was laid off.
1: Let's talk about ESPN for a couple minutes here. I believe it was 2013. It's my understanding that you were recommended for a job there by Adam Schefter. Is this true?
0: Yeah, yeah, actually that's true. So, to make a long story short, Adam and I were competitors, uh, pretty strong competitors in 2013. I would say if you looked at my career and we were evaluating it, my strongest free agency period by far was 2013. I would say my second was probably 2017, which was my last year with ESPN. But uh, you know, at Adam, uh, I ran into him at the NFL owners meeting in March of of 13. He says, "Hey, come over here. I want to talk to you about something." I'm like, "Okay." And he said, "Hey." wonder what I was doing with my career. I said, oh, I'm doing this and that. and Nothing full-time, a lot of part-time stuff. I'm doing okay, but I'd like you know, something better. He goes, I, I want you to meet my boss, Seth Markman. I'm like, okay. And Adam brings me over to him. And uh, Seth goes, hey, I'm. I'm w- w- I, either he or he, he said, we're creating this show called NFL Insiders. Would you be interested? And I'm like, where do I sign up? And we were laughing because I got what exactly what it was, mm-hmm. or, or at least what I thought it would be. And he said... He said, Look, we, we want you to be a panelist. Adam speaks very highly. Of you. I'm like, great. I didn't even know Adam really, other than say, you know, hello and, you know, uh, we're competitors. So my reputation is, Patrick, that I get along with everyone. Doesn't mean I like everyone, but I get along with everyone. And we, we got along and it was fine. And uh, he recommended to be on the show. And I was brought in there to be just a contributor. And then uh, two months into it, uh, Seth, who Seth would wind up being my boss, because I, I didn't. Like when I would go up there as a paid contributor, this is the way it worked for people who are listening. When you're a contributor, you just pay per appearance. So I was paid to go to, to drive up to Bristol, Connecticut, which is four hours from my home, and I would just be on the I would be on the side of the show, but I would not be on every week. I would just be you know paid contributor. So yeah. they we I signed a deal probably like in May, and in August of thir- we had a we had a couple practice shows in July of thirteen. And in August, we started, and I I didn't know the ESPN campus that well to get around, so I worked right outside Seth's office, literally like five feet from it. And I see him walking up towards me. He goes, I want you to come to my office and bring your playbook. And you kind of know what that means. When they yeah. said, you know, as an NFL player. I thought they were going to let me go. I'm like, how could this happen? I just got there. I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> right. And he's laughing, though. Thank God he was laughing. So he sits me down, and, you know, he looks at me and goes, would you like to work here? I'm like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And I go, what do you think? it, He says, what do you think it means? And I go, you mean like work here like full time? I go, but didn't you tell me you would review my status after a year? And he goes, you know what? I kind of know what I'm dealing with there. And, and I, you know, I, I, your command and all this. And I was like, I was in shock. I'm pleasantly shocked. I didn't, I, I was sort of like, you, you stare and you're like, wait a minute. I'm actually going to work at ESPN? Wow, this is crazy. All, all right. So I knew then because I, I made a terrible mistake in not having an. Let me see. It was six years before that, or seven years before they interview with them, and I didn't have an agent. So I feverishly called around, and I actually talked to Mike Tannenbaum, the former uh, Jets GM, who, who was a media agent uh, until he went to the Dolphins, and I talked to Mike and a couple other people. But um, you know, I went up. Um, I went up getting a deal. Uh, you know, I, I signed a two-year deal, and then uh, at the expiration of my two-year deal, I signed a three-year extension. So. Um, it was great. You know, Adam's great, Uh, great people to work for. No question about it.
1: Let me get the shitty part out of the way here. Right around the beginning of May, 2017, you were part of the infamous ESPN layoffs. It was a group that included great guys and and women reporters like Andrew Brandt Andy Katz, Mark Stein, among others. I don't want to spend too much time rehashing what was obviously a difficult time for you because I mean, that would be obvious, but did you feel at all blindsided by what happened?
0: No, because we were, we would. You sort of get intel at ESPN, kind of what's going on behind the scenes, depending on who, who you know and what kind of relationships you had. And I had pretty good uh, relationships with certain people, uh, especially when I go up to Bristol. And I, I, you know, I knew that. Um, and my, you know, my, my boss was honest with me. He did. He wanted us all to stay, but uh, this one, these these layoffs came from Disney. And they are I, I, and my understanding was probably sort of the same, or a little maybe somebody's a little different than everyone else's. But I knew from a shareholder standpoint they were trying to create more value by creating more money freed up, and I got that. Um, and then it was actually in May when we were laid off. The, the uh, we were. It was actually the week of the draft, if you recall. Mm-hmm. And I actually it was just to give you how shocking it was, just the way it went down. I, I knew that. I knew that it was touch-and-go where I was going to be kept, but I'd already had a deal, a side deal with the ESPN Radio to, to do uh, post-draft coverage for them. I was actually going to be on, I think, two or three days, and I was pretty excited about it. But, uh, you know, the problem was, if you and remember, remembers in Philadelphia where I'm from, that area. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know for sure what I'd be doing because there could, the call could come at any time. We were hoping that Patrick would come after the draft, which would have been the smarter thing, but... Mm-hmm. I get it that it's not like ESPN wanted it to happen then. It's just that it was coming from corporate, from Disney. And I knew it when I, I had Twitter open. I saw Ed, Ed Werder announce, you know, I work with Ed, and I, he announced on Twitter that he was out. And I'm like, you know what, I'm probably going to get a call today from Seth. And literally 10 minutes later, I think Joe Banner, the former Browns and Eagles president got a call, and then I got a call. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is, some of us had a lot of time left. I had 15 months, Patrick, at the time of my layoff. And Now the, the good thing is it's coming to an end. Not that I don't like being paid when you're laid off, but you know I, I they owe me my contract, the rest of my contract. But uh, it's you know it's been tough because they, they really don't want me reporting. They'd rather me not report. But and I understand where they're coming from. Um, but fact of the matter is it's you know I got to do whatever I can do to get some, you know i have I'm been restricted. Uh, by them. I've um, been reporting. I do a little bit here and there if you follow me on Twitter. I do. At Kaplan NFL. I mean, I, occasionally I do. A lot lot more of opinion. But I'll come out firing in August when I'm on my training camp tour. You, you, everyone will know I'm back and you know, then I will probably have some announcements in terms of career. But uh, yeah, it's been... Anyone who's gone through a layoff in your career, he, here's what I would advise them to do and the reason why I've been able to land on my feet since this happened. You've got to have versatility. You can't... If your kid is in college, listen to this. You can't just think that you're going to be done school, or if you're in your twenties and early thirties, you get laid off, and you think you could just walk into something else and just do what you're doing before. You better have versatility to your career. If you're just a writer, then that's not going to be good enough. That's just not going to make you're not going to make enough money. You got to be able to do some other stuff. And I, thank God, I was able to do. I did three games of play-by-play for the Philadelphia Soul. I did sideline reporting recently. I'm going to do more for them. Um, I could be a color analyst. I've actually I could heard do you. Radio.
1: I've actually heard What's you. That? I've actually heard you because I have a nephew who's a rookie and who plays for Albany. So I have uh, oh, a,
0: what's,
1: what's, what's his name? Jordan Williams. He, he's a rookie receiver playing. He's mainly playing special teams right now, but wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, Oh, that was, actually that was Now you mentioned that game. That was my first one. That was a little bit of a challenge because I'd not done it before, but the thing is I'm an, I'm an obsessive preparer. So I got the game right. I got too many names wrong. And that was the thing. And, and, and again, and this is for anyone who wants to advance in their career, no matter what you do, it doesn't have to be sports. Mm-hmm. You got to get names right. And I, 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 it's funny, I criticize play-by-play guys or color analysts for getting names wrong. And I got I got at least 15 wrong. It was embarrassing. So I knew what I had to clean up. I had to get the names right. I had to do better on the rules. And I cleaned all that up for the second game and the third game. I did really well. But the other thing that I would tell people is that you got to be your own worst critic. And I'm incredibly hard on myself. Like, let me give you a quick example In television, in my third year, I started to figure out really the mechanics of television. Very, very difficult. And thank God we had a uh, a media coach named Jerry Madelon, who unfortunately got laid off. But when I was there uh, for the first two and a half years, Jerry was there and he was my my coach. So we watched my tape and as tough as it was to watch, I learned a lot and how to be self-critical. And that's, it's no different than you doing your own podcast. Sure. How to be conversational. You have to kind of learn and point the finger at yourself first. And that's really been the secret to my career is no one will be a harder critic than I on myself. It's just not, not not possible. And some people think I'm too hard on myself, but that's the only way you can get better. You can't think you've got the world solved. you got to be better.
1: That's what I was going to ask you next. Okay, so, you know, you kind of learn the game through fantasy sports or rotisserie, I should say. You know, when you're young, you get involved, you're by trade a writer. Was it difficult for you getting in front of a camera for ESPN or behind a microphone like you do now for Sirius or you know other radio stuff that you've do and that you're going to continue to do? How much of a process was it for you to get comfortable being behind a microphone or behind a camera as opposed to just being a writer, which was you know by your first love, your first thing that you did?
0: Yeah terrific question. that that is really the challenge for any of us who are really and I, I know I remember talked to Chris Winston about it years ago that was his challenge because he was a writer, a great writer for the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. And I'm sure Schefter, Adam, when he was writing in Denver, I mean, he he got to NFL Network when they started, whatever that was, or three. But when you're done one medium your whole career, and I did have a little bit of TV experience for Comcast Sportsnet, literally right when they started doing fantasy. I was doing fantasy for them in 97. But I didn't have real network television experience in terms of every week in front of a lot of people, and when you're doing it every week, you need to learn the medium better. And I, until I got coaching, there was no way I'd become competent at, at it. And it was tough, man. Watching tape is – and this would be some more advice to anyone who wants to get in television. As painful as it is, and I do it painfully, sometimes I look away. I just can't – I hate looking at myself. I just can't. <laughs> I don't like it. It is what it is. Right. Uh, but I, because I catch so many things that I could do better – like, I'll give you an example. Susie Colbert told me, and we were doing one show, and she noticed that I had a very bad habit of turning my back to people when I spoke on, on set. And I'm like, I didn't even know I was doing that. And I never really caught it watching my tape. And th- these are the mechanics of television where you need someone else to tell you what you're doing wrong. And that that's the problem. It's like you you think you know television when you've worked in for a couple of years, but until you're doing it every week for ESPN, you really don't know it. and to answer your question, it was watching my tape. And now if you do radio or if you're, doing, if you're a podcaster like you are, and I've done my share of podcasts, I like to listen to the way that I have conversations with people and how I relate to them and how I keep things going and make it interesting. It, it's certainly a challenge. It's not easy. But again, I use that that world of, hey, I'm never as good as I think I am I have to look at various ways to improve.
1: I want to talk about media relationships briefly. Obviously, through the years, you develop personal relationships with at least some of your peers. How do you balance that line between friendship and competition? Because on one hand, you know, like I said, you become friends or at least you're friendly with a lot of these fellow NFL insiders that you've worked alongside or against. But at the same token, you're off in competition for stories and scoops and you want to beat them. Is it difficult sometimes to like, you know, balance that line a little bit between being friends with someone and also wanting to beat them to the punch with a scoop?
0: It's funny you ask that question. So I'm going to go back. I'm not going to tell you who the reporter was, but someone who was a mentor for me in our business said to me, he goes, I'm just telling you, be very careful of who you're friendly with in the reporting business. And this guy is very, is only friendly with two or three people. And I learned the hard way not to – there's some reporters who are just stabbing in the back, and it's just – it's not even competition. It's make up stuff about you, tell tell front office people not to talk to me because just because they, the guy – the, the term is called short-arming. Mm-hmm. It's whatever advantage you want to use. And I'm, I'm friendly with – I'll say hello to reporters, but I've made it a point not to be close to anyone. Uh, it just – it doesn't – as this person told me, how's that help your career? And that was the best, one of the best advice, a piece of advice I got in my life and probably in my career. You can't waste your time when people can't help you. Although from the helping, for mentoring, that's different. I mean, I, I mentor people when they ask for help, I'm happy to do it, uh, especially younger people. But in terms of people at my level or w- what I do, I'm my friendly, absolutely. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. i sh- small talk, but that's it. I move on. I'm there to if you watch me in an NFL event, I'm constantly moving and looking for people to, to, uh, to get to develop relationship, relationships with. I have an agenda in everything I do with my life um, in a good way. And just to improve for a personal basis and meet people who I find interesting. And then from a football standpoint, it's coaches, it's general managers, it's personnel directors, it's players, uh, whoever it is. And that's how you develop your sources and your ability to have conversations. And the thing that I love doing is, although I would admit again, I do know a lot of reporters. you probably know 200 of them. It's what your agenda in your career is going to be. What do you want to get out of your career? Because you have also a personal life, and you can't. You just don't have time to deal with everybody, and that's just the way it is. But you try to be respectful to everyone out, everyone, to give them your time as much as you can. But you have to draw the line somewhere. But also, as I said earlier, when you just asked. Um, Unfortunately, there's some bad people in the reporting business. I won't mention any names, of course, but there's some people, where it goes above what I call above the line or below the line. People, Most of the people do things the right way. There are a couple of people that I was friendly with that bad-mouthed me for no reason, and I just cut them out. That's just the way it is.
1: One more media question I wanted to ask you, and then we'll move on to a couple other things here. Sure. What did you, when you were at ESPN and on NFL Insiders, you know, on that campus, which, God, I, I'd love to be on that campus someday. I hear so many stories about it. But who did you enjoy working with the most there?
0: God, I would say everyone. I mean, it it's, it, you know, from Schefter, Adam and I worked out of the NFL studio uh, together. Whenever we were working that day, whenever he and I were on campus, that's where I love work, working out of there because it was quiet. I need, although it's funny, I do like music, but I put my uh, my headphones on. Mm-hmm. But I, I like a cool environment. I don't like, in the ESPN newsroom, it's very warm. It's almost like humid. And because I have to wear a suit all day I don't want to be sweating. I'm a sweater. I'm kind of what, I'm not really a sweater per se but when it's warm, Patrick, I'm gonna sweat. when it's cool I'm great. But if it's going to be high, mid seven mid to high 70s in a which we would call warm when you work inside I'm probably gonna sweat a little bit. so I, I like working at the NFL Studios, which were beautiful they were built I think in 2014. but I, I, I love working with everyone. I, I, here's what I would say about ESPN. No matter what you think, it's totally not what you thought. What, 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 what you thought when you would get there, like I heard all the stories, uh, Patrick, about people are narcissistic at a title. I'm not saying that doesn't go on, but I could only tell you from our NFL group, which I thought was pretty fairly tight knit. There wasn't one person I don't like working with. I, I'm not saying that because I'm doing like I'm still under contract with ESPN. Trust me, if I'm interviewed, and I'm sure I will be at some point if people want to ask. I'll be asked the same question that you asked. And it's a fair question. I I really can't say anything bad about it. I didn't know what I read. I read as much as I could, Patrick, before I got to ESPN. And I, I actually asked Adam before I started, what can you tell me about Seth or boss? What do I need to know? Um, I called South. I talked to South Palantonio. I talked to the people that I knew there. I know South from the Philly market. And I, you know, I got, I got what to watch out for and so forth, but I'm proud to say, man, I, 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 there's nothing I could say. God, I can't stand that guy. Not, not, not the case, and I can't say that was expected before I took the job.
1: You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because some of these guys, guys like Adam Schefter and Josina Anderson's another one, anytime I have ever asked them a question, and I'm just, you know, this little old podcaster before I was a blogger or whatever have you, they always treated me with respect. They always, Adam's doing a show soon, and so is Josina. It's like, I think these are very, for the most part, down-to-earth people.
0: Yeah, yeah, Justina, I worked with you know for a couple of years. Uh, she became a part of our group. Uh, I'm going to say my last two years there. She's great. Yeah, obviously Adam and more. And and when Ed was sort of a field reporter, but did a lot. He did the NFL Insider Show, so I got to know Ed, who I absolutely love. He's great. Uh, he gave he got laid off the same day I did. Right, um, I remember that earlier. We we you know, and the, the another great thing. I'll give you another little tidbit about ESPN. One of the best things I saw in your in your notes, and you were going to ask me this, and I, I wanted uh, we could bring up now because we're talking about ESPN. I think it's great. The production meetings for e- NFL insiders. I will take the rest of my life. I, I remember so much that we talked about, which we're not allowed to talk about on the air, and I could never talk about here. Just, um, just behind the scenes stuff with with um, in the NFL and and information that we had that we we would just those meetings were basically off the record meetings mm-hmm. where we were not allowed to talk about anything, what we were talking about outside those meetings. That was the agreement. And, but I could tell you with having Bill Pauli and Mark Dominic, uh, Marty Hernia work with us, is back with the Panthers, uh, Billy Devaney, I, I all the uh, Louis Reddick, of course, who worked for the, the Eagles and Redskins. And uh, me Morton, more, Adam, Ed, you name it, uh, Dan Graziano, um, I think Field Yates would work with on occasion. Anyone who either worked in the NFL or was a reporter or, or was an information gatherer, some of the stories and information we would, we would talk about in those meetings was just fascinating in the background. And, and, and Bill Polian. by the way, I know it's very hard for people to believe, might have the most underrated sense of humor. I, I, I can You can't believe he would say some stuff. You're like, man, I didn't know he was that funny. <laughs> but Bill was. I, I was stunned. I mean, you know, being a Bill's guy, like, like you are growing up in the area. Um, I, I didn't know that about Bill. I didn't know Bill before I started working there. And, and Mark Dominic became a good friend of mine. I, I didn't know Mark, really. Uh, you know, oh, by the way, Phil Savage. Phil, although I knew Phil before uh, that, and Jarrett Bell, who, was, uh, who runs for the USA Today. I love Jarrett. You know, we, and I hope I'm not forgetting one. If some of these guys are listening, I forgot you. I apologize, but I, I just I'm just remembering our meetings. And of course, Susie and, and Trey Wingo for NFL Live and our great producers and, and just uh, Todd Snyder, the great Todd Snyder, um, who's from your area, by the way, uh, who produced NFL insiders setters and Jeff Wheatley and all the great uh, producers that we work with. I mean, it, that show, by the way, is by far the best studio show I've ever been involved with. I'll never, although I've worked with, I've had, I love Comcast Sports at Philly. Um, Philly Sports Talk is a great show. I love it. But at the end, in terms of the NFL, I, I find it hard to believe that anything I'll ever work the rest of my career or anything I've worked since or will or, or, or previous will be better than that NFL insider show. That that was exactly what the NFL fan wants.
1: That's a great story. Let's switch gears real quick here. I want to ask you a question about gambling. What are your thoughts now that sports betting is becoming legal?
0: Yeah, so Patrick, this is a, this is one of the biggest stories in the history of the national football league. I'm gonna, I'll explain why. Okay. Okay. It's not that the league is going to make more money off of it. That's not really it because they're not – it's not like you're going to be able to bet at an at a, at a NFL game. In terms of getting people interested in the game, you, if you thought fantasy football grew the NFL, which it obviously did, and they are actually involved in it. Now, like, l- let me give you an example. Let me give you a real-life example. So when I gambled on sports, it would be the NCAA tournament. I would drive out. I would, drive I would fly out to Vegas, which, which college friends and, and other friends. Early 90s to probably early 2000s, I would go every March. And then what would happen was, you know, my, my career sort of took off, so I didn't have time. I, I, could, I just couldn't go out there anymore. But if I knew that I could bet the NCAA tournament and go to Atlantic City, I mean, just think about how many people now will from New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Philadelphia, will go to the Atlantic City casinos and bet NFL games. And stuff. Sure, It's crazy. And then if they let us, or let us, I don't know that I'll gamble, but anyone who wants to gamble, Now, through your computer, it should be eventually be legalized. If your state, if your state number, remember the state, whatever state you live in and that you're listening from, your state municipalities have to have to legalize it. It just nationwide. Now you could actually bet now. Now the states could actually have gambling other than Las Vegas. So that's why the money that and the tax benefits that states will get will be ridiculous. All the the tax revenue they're going to get. It's just going to create such an awareness. And, and so many people now will bet that didn't want to bet. It's just going to be crazy. The the, the interest in the National Football League will be so big, and then and, and by the way, TV ratings uh, will go way up because all those bad games that you thought were bad. Well, guess what? Maybe they're two or three clunkers a week. Well, guess what? Now they have incredible interest. Now that people will be able to bet on
1: them. That's <laughs> yeah, a good point, man. It's a real good point. I'm going to get to the Bills in the NFL in just one more minute, but I do have one more question. I am a Big time wrestling, Mark. Now, you've, had, you've had time with WCW and ECW from years ago. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, this is funny. So, uh, my, a friend of mine I went to high school with, like Richmond, who would later became a PR director for uh, Comcast at Philly, uh, Comcast Spectacore. Uh, I don't know how he got it, but he got this gig. The money was terrible. It was uh, probably 91, 92, 93, 94. Uh, for ringing the bell at the Philadelphia Civic Center when WCW would come in. I think they changed the name from NWA to WCW. So what I would do... Now, the, the old Philadelphia Civic Center, I don't even know if it's still around anymore. I, I, I don't know if they've... I, I haven't been there in decades, so I'm not even sure if it's around. But the, back then, WCW would, would wrestle in front of... And their matches would be great, by the way, between 500,000 people. And that, that place held like 10, 10 12,000 maybe. Mm-hmm. It was so empty that you could hear all the catcalls. Like, so for instance, when I bring the ring coats back, let's say it was Flair's ring coat, people would yell at me. I mean, they'd make fun of <laughs> you. Look at this guy. He's 20, you know, what a loser. And, you, and it was it's humiliating because people would make fun of you. <laughs> but the cool thing was, growing up loving wrestling as I did, it was like, I mean, this is unbelievable. And, and the $50 that they paid me could have been a dollar. I didn't care. Right. It was like the greatest job as a kid wasn't married and. I'm in my early and mid 20s. This is the coolest thing in the world. So I got to be friendly with the wrestlers. I got to see the Iron Sheik, believe it or not, at the end of his career. He would actually, pretty sad, this is when he couldn't get a job. They would have these guys who would show up to matches, and just in case someone couldn't wrestle, he would be like the extra. Mm-hmm. And I saw him. Unfortunately, um, sure, late Chris Benoit, uh, was when, I, when I was uh, doing that stuff, I actually worked at Hollywood Havoc. Then when Ike Ike got his job with um, Comcast uh, doing PR, I would t- I took over for him, so I'd actually ring the bell. But here's a funny story. I got two fu- two quick ones for you. Remember Gary Michael Capetta? He was Gary Michael Capetta was the ring announcer for WCW, you know, on TV, mm-hmm. and also during uh, well, yeah, I mean whatever was televised, you would see him. And he would you know, the term is kayfabe, where you wouldn't break, you wouldn't admit that wrestling's not real, right? And you would never talk about it not being real in front of people not in wrestling. Because technically, I was, I got paid. I got a, the uh, the promoter Gary Juster would pay me whatever they whatever it was fifty bucks. But remember when Ric Flair left? Uh, he le- left to go to WWE. I guess I don't know if they changed the name from WWF to WWE then. But he left, in, let's say '91. Yeah, yeah. And I remember sitting with Gary Gary Michael Capetta. Well, he actually calls himself Gary Capetta now. I guess he dropped the Michael. But so I said to him, I'm like, oh wow, Ric Flair left today, huh? And I remember reading in the Wrestling Observer, because I love wrestling. and Again, I wanted information. So he acted like it wasn't true and that he didn't know anything about it. And I go, Gary, listen, you can level with me. I get I'm a young kid, but I know that he left because of a contractual issue. I don't know why you just don't act like. And here and I got in like sort of a small argument about um, like he would not admit that Flair left. He had to act like because they were not allowed to admit that Flair left. So I thought that was absurd, the absurdity of, of not admitting that wrestling is, you know, not what you know, not real or not not on the up and up in terms of of uh, real life. And I was like, okay, fine, you, you don't want a minute. And then part of my job was to ru- to run messages up to wrestlers. I didn't know that, Patrick, that you're not supposed to go in in the locker room. <laughs> so I, I run upstairs. It was and and the uh, the promoter gave told me to give Big Van Vader a message. Ironically, his name is Leon White, and he played for the Rams. By the way, He's yeah. Third round, in the late seventies. But so I, I run upstairs, and he looks at me. He goes, he goes, get the hell out of here! What are you doing in here? I said, hey man, I, I was told to tell you this. It was something like they, they're moving his matchup, and man, he yelled. at me, and I got so scared. And <laughs> the other thing, he was not like dressed, hardly dressed. And uh, you know, he wore suspenders and he had him down. I'm like, man, I ran out of there. I was like, I don't want to see this guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember this, and I'm forgotten about it. Lucky you didn't and get Vader, Bob. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the crazy thing about Vader. I did not know that his shoulder pads were um, would would have smoke. Uh, he does it. He did it with remote control. So he hands me that night. He handed me his shoulder pads, and I put them to the right of me. I'm um, sort of to kill time. I'm rocking back and forth. He hits the remote control, and I fall. I'm in such shock, I fall back and I hit my head. And I think my <laughs> nephew took the, the picture. I can't find it. I've looked for it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was the time of my life. I mean, if you lo- I, I haven't watched wrestling since the uh, NWO broke up in the late 90s. Yeah. I, really, I don't know anything about it anymore. But uh, when I worked for ECW, my job was to pick up wrestlers at the airport. So make a long story short, remember Nikita Koloff? I don't know if you're old enough. Oh, to yeah, yeah, yep, yep his real name is Scott Simpson. Now, again, I love the real names of these wrestlers. I just make me laugh. So I knew you're not supposed to call them your real name, but I was also pretty obnoxious in my twenties. So (laughs) Scott, good to see you. And he wouldn't answer. And and the other wrestlers would call him Nikita. Go hey Nikita. And he, 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 again, this guy's from Minnesota and he talks with this fake Russian accent. And I'm like laughing. Like, how's this guy like, come on, dude. Like, no one's even here. It does it really matter. And the whole time when I was picking these guys up and then taking them back to their hotel, they were in character the entire time, especially the kid who call off that those are my stories. Russell, I have a ton of them, but those are the ones that I could remember that made me laugh.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like I just got some Miranda podcast, um, exclusive stuff from you. That's great.
0: Yeah. I really have not talked about this <laughs> stuff. I don't think, uh, anywhere.
1: Yeah. But. <laughs> All right. Before I get killed by my listeners here, I got to ask you a couple Buffalo bills questions. Dez Bryant's still out there, and it's pretty pretty widely known that the Bills could still use some help at wide receiver. Are you surprised the Bills haven't reached out to Dez? At least not that we know of. And are you surprised Dez hasn't received more interest around the league overall? I mean, I know he's not what he used to be, but is he at the point where he's washed up right now?
0: Well, other than Baltimore, Dez would like to, would like to get paid fairly well for one year. although he's made a ton of money. Um, here's the scouting report from NFL people on this player. Uh, doesn't run very well anymore. Not that he was a speed guy. Doesn't get pr- good. I'm looking at a text message. Didn't, doesn't get good separation. What kind of roles he will and accept. No one I spoke with thinks he could start anymore. Just to be a good backup and be a good red zone guy. So to me, he's looking to revive his career. He would be smart to take a job where he could, where they would understand what, what he brings to the table. I just think he's. and You know what happens also, and I know of a couple of veteran players I've spoken with who, who are purposely not going to sign to August because they want to miss the entire. They don't. They don't want to be in any offseason program. Des should work on his speed, just work on his game, and once training camp's open, I'm sure he'll get a job. You know, but remember, the Ravens had a lot of interest in him. As a matter of fact, it's just the money wasn't right for him. So I think at the end, Des has to get realistic and, and understand that. Taking one-year deal is not the worst thing in the world, and he could revive his career, and he just has to get to, get with a team and understand what he brings to the table.
1: Do you think that a team like Buffalo could be a fit? Because, I mean, you know, you got Calvin Benjamin. He's the number one. But after that, Zay Jones, he wasn't very good last year as a rookie, and he had some, you know, off-season stuff that happened this year. They signed Jeremy Curley. They really don't have much. So, fit-wise, don't you think that would be a great opportunity for him to come into a team where... He might have a bigger role than on other teams, like maybe say Green Bay or something like that. Or do you think he's really hell bent on besides getting paid, going to a team that is expected to contend for a championship?
0: Yeah, I think Buffalo. That was the that was the big issue, as you know, at receiver last season. They just went through all sorts of problems. The Kelvin Benjamin trade. He was not healthy. Uh, Zay Jones had only had a couple good games. He was not ready. He got pressed in the service. Sure. Uh, too early. He was also put in. He was he was playing the wrong position. Um, and they dress a little bit this offseason, but I think that from a need standpoint, the, 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 the Bills still need to address that position. Uh, I don't know that they're done. And, and remember, I think the fans need to understand this. Free agency is not done. It's really never done. Just the bulk, the heavy part of it is done in March. But it goes on and on and on, so it would not surprise me at all if the Bills sign one or two veteran receivers. Uh, they need more competition. I really look forward to seeing kind of what they do in offensive season. It's going to be interesting.
1: What are your thoughts on the Bills taking Josh Allen seventh overall? It was reported that they had him ranked ahead of Josh Rosen the whole time, and obviously that turned out to be true. Your thoughts on them going up and getting Josh Allen?
0: Yeah, so Josh Allen's a project. He just needs a lot of work. Um, the good thing is Brian Dable, who's been an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach in league for a long time. He's worked with a lot of quarterbacks. He's helped develop a lot of quarterbacks. I think he's the right guy to do it. I just think it's going to take time. Uh, Sean McDermott has to be patient. I, I, I don't believe the Bills are going to be a playoff team. I thought they sort of overachieved last season. Sean did a great job. But I think in the end, when you really look at it, Josh Josh Allen's a guy with tremendous arm strength. He's a pretty good athlete for the position. But from a mechanic standpoint, he needs a lot of work. And the worst thing you could do is throw in a player in there before before he's ready. So I think what will happen is if, if let's be honest with about it, AJ McCarron's a guy that might be a placeholder. You don't make the trade up that you do you, you did for that quarterback Josh Allen and not play him. Josh Allen's going to start some games this season, but unless he blows people away, we're talking about their front office coaches in August. Let AJ McCarron start and then just to see where he goes, see how they play. The Bills' defense should be very good. They're going to have a really good running game with, with LeSean McCoy. Offensive line certainly in question, but the Bills will be competitive. But if they're eliminated, let's say around Thanksgiving, that, that would be the time to play him, play him in the month of December, let him get some snaps in some starts in and and then get him. And that'll give him the kind of experience it needs to go into a second season.
1: Bill's made the playoffs last year. Most people and yourself included, expect them to take a step back this year, which is very possible, especially given, you know, the state of the quarterback and the offense in general. Let me ask you one more Bill's question here organizationally wise you feel good about McDermott as head coach and being as GM suppose. I mean, you know, you were around the, the Rex Ryan era. It was kind of like a circus. Do you feel like this organization win or lose this year is on that right path towards building a championship contender?
0: Yeah, I do. I, I, here's what I like. I like, they've got a pretty good draft compensation coming to them for the next couple of years at, you know, through trades. I, I like, I like the structure, especially on defense. Um, Sean is very disciplined. You talked about Rex Ryan; they needed they, it's not a secret. The Bills really prefer to bring a lot of discipline. Uh, the, the, the Rex era was not, and they just needed to kind of change up a little bit. And I think Sean brought that in, and his, he's so passionate and got so much energy, and he's young enough that he could relate to players. And I think Brandon, Brandon Bean and Sean, you know, they have a great relationship from the time in Carolina, and I think they've worked well together. Sean knows what he, what he wants. That's Brandon's job is to get Sean the players that he wants, and they've done a good they've done a pretty good job of evaluation. I've, I've liked their draft so far. So, well, although Sean was in charge of it last year because Brandon came in later, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is, I think that they're on the right path. And if you're a Bills fan, I, I hate to put in these terms, but it's really going to come down to Josh Allen. I think they're going to be fine. Otherwise, you don't need to have a great receiver core. You just need to have great coaching. And I really like Sean as a coach, he, he, and, and Brian Dable. As I said earlier, he's the kind of coach that you like to have with him. I thought I thought Rick Dennison was not Rick, Rick did not have a his, did not have a history of developing quarterbacks. It's so about quarterback development. You saw what the Eagles did last year, uh, last season. Patrick yeah. uh, having so many quarterback developers on the coaching roster, that really is the way to go. You've you, you've got to do that, and I think I think Sean certainly on his way to doing that.
1: Jumping around the league real quick, what do you think's really improved themselves the most since the end of last season?
0: I would say the come to mind right now, the Cleveland Browns, uh, who didn't have a win last season, I guarantee you, Patrick, they will at least double their win total. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, uh, well, they will. They have to have at least a game one. So <laughs> I I think Cleveland, John Dorsey's been very aggressive. Their new general manager, uh, especially in free agency, uh, made a bunch of trades, uh, certainly aggressive in the draft. I thought the Bucks Jason Light, the general manager of the Bucks, did a very aggressive job, and it did a good job. Addressed a lot of needs through for agency in the draft, and I like the way he built his defensive line. Boy, their defensive line ought to be fantastic. Uh, And last season, James Winston was just not healthy with with a bad shoulder. Now he's healthy. I think their offense will be really good. I think they're going to be. I think they'll push for a wild card. I think the Browns should get five or six wins. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to. Seeing the quarterback situation break down, uh, we know the reality of Baker Mayfield's going to start a lot of games this season. Tyrod Taylor, as you know, is a, more of a placeholder, but I like the direction the Browns are going. Their is actually really much improved.
1: I'm, a, I'm glad you mentioned Tampa because I'm a Buffalo guy, but I moved to Florida about two years ago. And I live near Tampa now. What the hell happened to them last year? They were supposed to be good. All the stuff you're telling me now is what I heard last year about this team. What happened? Do you think Winston not being healthy was the obviously the primary part? You expect him to be contenders this year? Maybe not for the Super Bowl, but at a minimum, at least a playoff contender because they were supposed to be good last year, everything I read and heard, and they weren't at all.
0: Yeah, I think what happened there was Jameis' shoulder. They could not run the football. Doug Martin completely fell off the running back. You know, it's not that you have to run the ball. No, you don't. But when you run it, you want to be more efficient. And their running game was pathetic last season. So with Ronald Jones, their their second-round pick, he'll play a huge, huge role in it. He's got explosive ability. And Cameron Brate's been a great story tight in Mike Evans, of course, uh, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, they're, they're real, they're, their offense. The, the offensive line was not quite as good as I think everyone thought it would be. But I think Dirk Cutter, also the head coach, has got to do a better job on offense, and he calls the plays of being more... More of, a, more of a dynamic play caller. Be more aggressive. Get the running backs involved in the pass game.
1: Figure out a way to get
0: Deshaun and and Winston on the same page. And then you know, Mike Smith defensively, I, I think, if we're all being honest here, much was expected from Mike Smith because he's a pretty good defensive coach and he didn't get it. He Now, did, could have he have used more talent on defense? Sure. Light, I'd really address the, ta- the lack of talent on defense. Their D-line is going to be one of the deepest in the National Football League. Smith has got to do a better job, and I expect him to. Mike's a good coach. They're going to be better. If Jameis plays all 16 games the healthy, this is a 9-7, and 10-16 on paper, just from a roster standpoint.
1: On the opposite end, is there one or two teams out there do you think are primed to take a significant step back in 2018?
0: Well, here's what I'm going to tell you, and we talked about the Bills, and I just don't – I think the Bills were a mirage, and we know that the Bills – it came down to last day, you know. Obviously, literally the, the the Bengal game and Andy Dalton and what happened in that game. But I thought Sean overachieved as a coach. I thought he did such a fantastic job. I I just don't know offensively that they're going to be good enough. Now are they, I I think the, the, the were they nine and seven last season? Yes, I think was the record. Yep. I think they'll be eight and eight. You know, seven and nine. I just don't think they are getting the playoffs. But here's one that I think could take a step back. It could be a home run or a bust. I've never seen this. Nineteen years to cover the National Football League. A team builds their free agency through trades, not, not actually signing players. Other than and Sue, the Rams, I mean, they made one trade after another. They, they bring in they bring in Marcus Peters, who's arguably the NFL's best corner, and who's a young guy. You have to really question why Andy Reid wanted him out of there. And, and of course, Akib Tlaib, who's had off-the-field issues in his career, though he's, he's kind of matured a little bit. You're always concerned about ke- chemistry in a locker room. Special a team like the Rams, Patrick, that made the playoffs. That thing could be, they could be 13 and three, where this thing could implode. Remember, their, their head coach, I think, is 32 years old, and Sean, 31 or 32, Sean McVay. Right. There players on his roster that are older than he is. So that, that would be a concern. That one, Bears watching, I can't wait to go to their training camp.
1: Now, few people know the Philadelphia Eagles better than you, obviously. How do you think they are looking in terms of repeating? Are they going to be a front runner this year? And with Carson Wentz and Foles, are you a little bit surprised that Foles didn't get traded? I mean, it would not probably not made sense to get rid of him, but based on how he played in the playoffs, I thought that maybe some team would try to blow Philly away with an offer, but apparently that never came. How are you feeling about Philly going into the season right now?
0: Yeah, so Patrick, I think, let's take the latter point that you made. The Eagles simply could not afford to trade Nick Foles because here's the reason, unless they got a first-round pick, when you look at Carson Wentz and his injury, he had a multi-ligament injury, ACL big one of the ligaments that was impacted that was reconstructed. You just don't know because of the. Remember, it happened very late in the season. It happened in December. I was actually at that game and at the Rams, maybe one of the best regular season games I've ever seen. The problem is, you just don't know exactly when he's going to be ready. My my sense is he's going to get on the field in a limited fashion sometime in August, and then with with no setbacks probably be ready for the opener. It's not definite, though. So how knowing that, and I don't think, I think the Eagles are pretty reasonably optimistic they'll be ready for week one, but they don't know it as a fact at 100%. What if he has a setback? They cannot go to Nate Sutzfeld, despite how well he developed on their practice squad, the coaching there by John T. Filippo, who's now the OC with the Vikings, is tremendous. I mean, I get it. The Eagles, I've talked to them privately about Sutzfeld, I love him, but you can't, he can't you just can't take that, that risk of trading Falls and having him, uh, potentially be the starter. That's it's just too early to do that. So that, that's pro- that plays into their thinking by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's interesting. It's amazing when a team has three quarterbacks, they like, and trust me, it's, it's, I'm not just saying that they love all three of them.
1: Okay. Every episode I have, every guest I have, I like to end with a little mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a handful of random questions and whatever pops in your head. First, you tell me Cool. Go for it. All right, man. Favorite athlete you've covered?
0: Oh, boy. Favorite well, it would have to be the NFL, because although I love the NBA, and I, I thought of covering it at the same time, I just was not, time-wise, I wasn't able to do it. Boy, the cover to the NFL, I, I first covered, that it would be hard for me to narrow it down, but one that I'm most intrigued by is Tom Brady, just because his story is so unlikely, being a sixth round pick, to be the, for my for my time and watching football, and covering it, he's the best player at his position in the history of the league. Based on what Brady's been able to do with his ability, I mean, I'm just blown away by that. And I, he's the kind of guy that I'm just, I still to this day cannot believe it. And by the way, he turned 41 in August, and yeah. he hasn't lost anything.
1: Okay. Favorite non-sports related activity to do. So going to a game doesn't count as a sport. <laughs> that doesn't count. Yeah,
0: but, but how about participating, in like playing tennis or golf or something like that?
1: No, 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 non-sports.
0: Um, you know what? Okay, I'll give you one. And I think all of us could relate to this. So my wife and I, although we're vegetarians, I will go. We love pizza, so we will go pizza hunting. We'll, we'll, if, if, if like when I'm traveling, I will look for a pizza joint. It could be a divey place. Like now, my wife and I found one near us that now is one of our favorite places to go. I just I love pizza, and I will I will. You've heard the phrase, the soup Nazi on Seinfeld suffer for a soup. I yeah, suffer yeah. for pizza. I will go find it, my friend. I, I will. I will find it. And that's. It sounds funny. Other than playing tennis, which unfortunately I just I sprained my foot and and I, I'm, I'm going to be probably down for a little bit in terms of running, running around a little bit. But I will go anywhere to find pizza, man. You, I, you can't get a good, uh, enough good pizza.
1: Favorite city to visit?
0: Oh, Napa, California. To go to Raiders camp, uh, folks. Put it on your bucket list. Somehow visit. Raiders training camp before it moves away from, uh, from Napa, Napa Marriott. Uh, it, that by far, and I've never been to Italy, though. My wife was just there. I want to go badly. Um, I, I would say that I love Napa just because it's the, I love the drive. I love the area. It never, literally never rains there. And I, I like it where there's no humidity. And I, it's always, it seems to be either high 70s or low 80s there every day. Do you have
1: a favorite sports movie?
0: Yes, North Dallas 40 a football movie uh, from the seventies. Nick Nolte was the star of that, playing a washed-up receiver for the fictional Dallas Cowboys. The, the team was not the, the Cowboys; it was the Dallas team, and it is a tremendous movie. It's trying to, to me. It's the best sports movie. It, it's a drama. I would see it if you could if you could find it, uh, watch it, watch it on DVD or however you, you, you or download it. It is a phenomenal movie about playing hurt and and teamwork and Nick Dolte was, by the way, he was tremendous in that movie. He could have fooled me. He was probably then, probably in his 30s then, so he was able to be athletic enough to play the position he played receiver. It was a great movie. I highly recommend it to everyone.
1: If you had never gotten involved in sports in any kind of capacity at all, what do you think you might have wanted to do with your life?
0: I probably, like my father, would have become an attorney. Uh, My father, in his early 50s, instead of retiring, he was in the building business. He decided to go back to to just go to law school, and I, I've always been fascinated by it. I would probably say that did uh, would never have been gotten into real estate or building like my father. I had no interest in it. I was a sports guy. Um, I'll tell you what, though, I would have loved to have been an NBA general manager. I just I love hoops, either G, or NFL GM Patrick or NBA GM. Either one of them, if, if it was sports. But if it was if if not sports, would be an attorney. I would have to say that.
1: Okay, second last question here. If Twitter sent you a note and it said, hey, Adam, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would it probably be and why?
0: Well, my question would be, does it have to be someone who's living? Does it like if someone was, because here's the question, what if what if we could take someone who passed away decades ago or, or, or you know, we're talking about um, centuries ago and they could have a Twitter account? Hmm. That, 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 that's the way I respond to that question, because quite frankly, there's some people I would love to, I would love to have conversations with, whether it's Martin Luther King, uh, Henry David Thoreau, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, I would just be fascinated with, um, that that's the way I, it's more about who I'd like to talk to because in general, There, there are different people that we probably, as our life progressed, that we'd like to have, would have, would have liked to have met who we can never meet because we don't, you know, we, 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 we don't work in that business or that passed away like MLK in the 60s. I would have loved to have sat with him. And, And can you imagine if some of these people who are, who are, who we grew up idolizing or we wanted to know about had a Twitter account? Think about how cool that would have been. Can you imagine?
1: I never thought of that until you just said it. I
0: don't know. Yeah, I just that's it's it just because I use Twitter for information. That's really the only reason why I use it. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, or, or when I'm reporting to put information out. I I mean I do I, I follow some non sports people, but I don't I don't I'm not interested in politics, and I don't I know people who are following me don't care about it, and I I leave politics to the side as you know it's too polarizing. So I just I'm I'm, I'm the constant. Stage of learning. I don't care how old you are. You always you should always want to learn or write or learn or I just would have loved to sat down with Martin Luther King and and how how he could have helped us become a better country. And you know I was only two years old when he passed away. I think something like that. So um, I would have, or, or, but I would tell you this: if, if we're talking about people we love to have a conversation with now who are living, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner. I, I'm a big fan of his and the way he, he handles himself. Uh, I've been I've been together privately with Robert, Roger Goodell in his office uh, back in 2010. He he be another guy I would love to talk to privately. But I was with some other people though. But it was not in a public setting. But Adam Silver, I would absolutely love to talk to one on one for a couple hours.
1: Man, I, you got me thinking, imagining in my mind what it would be like if Elvis had
0: Twitter. That like Elvis, right? <laughs> right. We're, if, right. Now, now here's the problem: though. who would run a scout?
1: He probably wouldn't tweet much. No.
0: <laughs> right, and that's the problem with celebrities. I wish they'd just be themselves. Right. You know, what what like you don't have to I get that you could have someone running before you could just tweet on your own like once a week. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or once a month. Give us some some thoughts.
1: Yeah. I, I'm
0: hoping the coaches out there, Patrick, the NFL coach the assistant coaches who become head coaches. And you like Pete Carroll, I'm almost certain runs his own Twitter account. He doesn't tweet much. It seems like him when when, when they're tweets from his account. I just wish they would tweet it on their own, but that's a pet peeve of mine.
1: All right. This is the last question here, and you've already mentioned some guys. So you got to narrow it down now because I'm sure they'll be in your answer. You're allowed three dinner guests from any era. Who do you got at your table? Three
0: people with yeah, you. Yeah, M- M- MLK, Martin Luther King would be, would be right up there. Uh-huh. Uh, no question about it. Uh, would, would be, if not one, one of my top three. The Adam Silver would be there. You said dinner, right? You said dinner?
1: Yeah, yeah. you're going to grab a bite to eat, maybe oh, a beer. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine MLK just, just talking about a life and and uh, and just how to help people. Um, yeah, Adam Silver would be another one because he and I share some similar philosophies uh, about how we handle our business. Uh, I've, I've kind of studied him. Uh, you know what? Roger Goodell, I would love to sit privately with him for three or four hours and have a dinner with him. Awesome. I would love to. Yeah, I, I would love to. It, by the way, he's not quite what people think. I, I, that's all I'll tell you. He's, he's actually, a, a, if you if you got with him privately, he's completely different from what you, his public persona. Um, I would love to sit alone with him for three, four hours and just talk about life and, and his job and all that stuff.
1: That guy gets booed like a wrestling heel at the draft every year. Do you, how much yeah. do you think that bothers him, or do you think he just shrugs it off, no big deal?
0: I, I, I Again, I don't know him personally, so I... I It probably at first I think it probably would take him aback, but it's kind. He, I, I, I'm sure he laughs. It's kind of funny. (laughs) It's it. I just think it's like an annual event. You know, he's going to get booed. Andrew Brand puts something out there on Twitter. It's funny about that. You like you just you just know he's going to get booed. But um, people don't like you know. People have a problem with the suspensions and certain certain fan bases don't like them. I get it, but he's a commissioner and he's going to be a commissioner for a long time.
1: Okay, guys, Adam Kaplan. Listen, thank you so much for your time. We did this for well over an hour. I appreciate you giving me your time and you got me really looking forward to August now.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, Patrick. I hope I didn't bore people and I appreciate the time. It's, um, it's good to talk about, as I said, when we did this in the early stages of it, it looks like we're going to go into stuff that, that I've really talked about. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you what, man, I'd love to have you back on down the line and just have share some more wrestling stories. I thought those were awesome.
0: I have a bunch of them, actually. I have a bunch of them that some may may not be for air because they're a little bit a little bit dirty, but they're they're funny. <laughs> so um yeah, re- wrestling is I again I haven't watched it since like ninety eight or ninety nine, but I got a kick out of it, no question.
1: Okay, that's it for today. I want to thank longtime NFL insider. And current Sirius XM radio host Adam Kaplan for doing the show today. I'm a big fan of Adam, so it's a major score for the podcast, and I really appreciate his time. Coming up on Monday's show, I have New York Post lead sports columnist Mike Vaccaro on. We're gonna to talk to him about a ton of things. Of course, most of all, I wanna thank all of you for listening. This podcast continues to grow, and you're the only reason why that matters. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or Google Play, or TuneIn, or even iHeartRadio now, and subscribe to this podcast, completely free. You can follow me on Twitter, at Pam Morant Tweets, or if you're on Facebook, you can like the Moran Analytics Podcast Facebook page. Have a nice, safe weekend, and I'll talk to you guys again on Monday. I'm out. Peace.